It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a very special Mic'd Up on OM Radio. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And last night, I was I was watching, I was watching, I was waiting. This is the news I was trying to track last night before I went to bed. And good evening now. We begin tonight with news from Capitol Hill. The Senate still trying to pass that nearly $2 trillion stimulus bill aimed to help Americans during this coronavirus. But who will get what under this new measure? News 19's Lauren Thomas breaks it down for us. In this time of uncertainty, people are just trying to stay above water. They've lost jobs, small businesses are struggling, and we don't know when things are going to get back to normal. So Congress is trying to do something, and they are working to pass a $2 trillion stimulus plan that will help small business owners, families, corporations, and the medical field. For small businesses, the bill provides $400 billion in loans, with loans up to $10,000 per business. There are also $500 billion set aside for major industries like the airlines. The bill also includes a cash payment of up to $1,200 for most working Americans. It expands unemployment insurance for an additional 13 weeks, boosting the benefits by $600 for up to four months. This also goes for people collecting Social Security, a pension, and veterans receiving compensation. But there's been some pushback from four senators, which include South Carolina Senators Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, who are concerned that the way the bill is written, it could encourage people to not get back to work. Under this proposal that they agreed to last night, on unemployment, you would be making $24.07 an hour in South Carolina. There are a lot of jobs in South Carolina that do not pay $24.07. Legislation would not stop at 100% of your income. This legislation would allow you in unemployment to make more than you do in employment. We know that that is a drafting error, and we are simply providing an amendment to fix that so that you do not make more in unemployment than you do when you're working. But despite the pushback, the bill is expected to get the support it needs, and that means more money could be coming to your pocket during this time of uncertainty. Reporting in Columbia, Lauren Thomas, News 19, WLTX. And we do have some breaking news coming from Capitol Hill. At this hour, the long-awaited Senate vote on the coronavirus uh, bill is finally underway. They just started voting just a few moments. So that was the news that I fell asleep on, right? Just waiting for the Senate to pass this measure or to uh, give us an update whether or not it would be prolonged. This process would be prolonged to the next day. But uh, then I woke up and this is what I heard. The U.S. Senate has unanimously approved what is essentially $2 trillion of economic triage for the economy now heads to the Democrat-controlled lower house for a vote on Friday morning. And they argued, though, to the very end, one sticking point had been unemployment benefits. Republicans wanted to make sure laid-off workers did not get paid more than what they earned on the job. That amendment failed. CNN's Brian Todd breaks down what's in the package for average Americans. 
Americans are hearing there's $2 trillion in this rescue package, that it is the largest economic stimulus measure in modern American history. But of course, what many of them are asking is, how much money am I going to get and when am I going to get it? So we have a basic breakdown for you. Let's start with, if you're an American and you are single, if your adjusted gross income is $75,000 a year or less, you will get a full $1,200 check from the U.S. government. But the more you earn, the less you're going to get. If your income is $80,000, you'll get a check for $950. If you make $85,000, you get $700. If your income is $90,000 a year, $450. If you make $95,000, it's $200. If you make $99,000 a year or more, you get nothing. We should point out this is all based on tax returns for the year 2019. If you haven't done those tax returns yet, they're going to base it on your 2018 tax returns. Now let's talk about married couples. Couples earning $150,000 a year or less are going to receive $2,400 from the U.S. government. Couples making $160,000 a year get $1,900. Couples earning $170,000 get a $1,400 check. Those making $180,000 get $900. Couples making $190,000 a year get $400. And couples earning $198,000 a year or more will get nothing. We also have to talk about the child credits that many people are, of course, asking about. Parents with children who are 16 years old and younger, they will get $500 for each child. But that child credit also phases out if your income is higher. For one child, a single parent who makes $109,000 a year or more will get nothing for one child married parents who are making $208,000 or more a year they get nothing now unemployment benefits with this package if you're earning the, if you're getting those benefits those unemployment benefits you're gonna get $600 a week or more excuse me $600 a week more on top of what your state gives you for up to four months we should also talk about so-called gig workers like Uber drivers and Amazon Flex delivery people. They are going to be eligible to apply for these benefits, uh, but it's not clear how much money uh, they are going to get. One key question is, of course, when will all this get sent out? People want it as soon as possible. Of course, uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and President Trump uh, have been pushing to get this money sent out by early April. That's very likely not going to happen. The best estimates that we can come up with based on previous stimulus packages is that the money will not get out at least until May. Brian Todd, CNN, Washington. As you heard at the beginning of that CNN clip, there was an amendment that GOP leaders, um, namely Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, were fighting for where it would uh, decrease the amount of unemployment benefits folks would, would receive in this bill. As you also heard, that amendment failed. Um, here's why or what both Senator Lindsey Graham and um, Tim Scott, here's, here's their argument on why folks shouldn't receive the money that's currently included in this stimulus package. Our nation is built on the dignity of work. What this bill does without fixing it is it simply says you can earn more money by being on un unemployment than you can while working. That is an incentive that is perverse. We cannot have intended to encourage people not to work and make more money than to go back to work and receive your normal pay. Under this bill, the $600 payment on top of state benefits actually allows people to have their income almost doubled in certain circumstances. 
And I want to help people. I want to make sure that you, if you lose your job, that we cover your wages. But under this bill, you get $23.15 an hour based on a 40-hour work week not to work. That clip came courtesy of the Washington Post, and it featured the voice of both uh, Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Tim Scott from right here in good old South Carolina. I thought it was important for you to hear that clip because you can hear their argument, what they were fighting for. That amendment that they were lobbying for did not pass. And so folks are going to get just a little bit of cushion. And to me, it's really not that much. When you think about the abrupt nature of COVID-19 and how folks just out of the blue lost their financial footing, I think folks need a little a little extra help. You know, it's not just cutting cutting dry. It's not just, hey, we're giving away money and it's a windfall. Folks are going to use that money to catch up on bills. Folks are going to use that money and put it right back into the economy. They're going to support their children. They're going to pay for daycare. Um, You know, giving folks some breathing room. I'm not mad at that. So um, that amendment that they proposed did not pass. And uh, yeah. And you know what? There's some more economic news that I wanted to include because, again, I think if we look at this just as uh, black and white and like really binary, very rigid ways, I think we lose sight of what's really going on. And people people become uh, numbers instead of remaining faces and real families. And so here's some more news that I did not know that I found out yesterday in terms of how other businesses throughout the state are going to be impacted by um, the COVID-19 crisis. Take a listen. We want to get to Phil LeBeau who's got more news for us about a major uh, car manufacturing plant in this country that is going to be stopping production. Uh, Phil. David, I believe this is the last final assembly plant that is still functioning in this country. It is the BMW plant down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It will be shutting down starting this Friday. They're going to shut it down for two weeks. The significance here is that this is BMW's largest plant worldwide. I think last year they built 420,000 vehicles. A good chunk of those are exported, many to Asia. Um, But obviously, the world has changed when it comes to vehicle demand. And in addition to the news about BMW, let me give you some sense of how much demand has changed, guys. New estimate from IHS market in terms of auto sales in the U.S. this year, dropping down to a sales rate of 14.4 million vehicles. Just for comparison, the U.S. last year's vehicle sales were 17 million new vehicle sales. Now the expectation. I just uh, I just reached out to my cousin who happens to work at that BMW plant and I asked him how he was doing and that I heard the news about the plant closing and he said he's doing outstanding. <laughs> so that's good news. And I'm sending him and all of his his uh, fellow employees. I'm sending them nothing but good vibes and, and well wishes. And uh, he did confirm that there were two cases at least two cases there at the plant um, of COVID virus or COVID-19 infection, and uh, they close on Friday. So I'm hoping that these closures, all of these closures, um, I hope that they wrap up sooner than than we can expect or that, you know, sooner than recommended. But we're just going to have to watch and wait and do the best we can to contain the virus among us. So sheltering in place, um, self-isolation, quarantine for some, Definitely social distancing, um, you know, all of that plays a part in getting getting our state back up and running. Right. Um, but I, why I thought it was really important to include uh, that clip is because uh, the industries that are impacted by COVID-19, are, the ripple effects that come from that are, are just like 
countless. Like I can't even, it, it starts, makes me think about who is impacted and how indirectly and directly and how some of these plants are based in like more rural areas. And so how those, those already like more modest economies are going to be impacted if folks there, if that workforce is no longer gainfully employed. So that's why it's important that legislation be handed down that does take in consideration the folks who are losing their jobs because they keep us going. Um, and th- this labor force that we have here is is hugely dependent on, you know, um, skilled workers. Um, they're they're more more diverse workforce. And so it's important that, that for me specifically, that's in my value systems, that these groups are supported. Um, yeah, so I, I don't mind a little extra cushion or um, a couple of extra provisions, especially when um, the government has just approved $500 billion for industries, for, for a big, big corporation. So if we get more in the way of uh, loans, small business loans and um, unemployment benefits, I'm not mad at that at all. So that's just something to watch when it comes to um, these industries. And remember, over the past few years, we've wooed a lot of manufacturers here. And and that clip had noted, I believe that was the last auto manufacturer in the country to shut down. So we know we have Volvo here, BMW. We know Boeing um, was dealt a blow as well. And they were actually asking for some bailout, um, $62 billion in bailout funds. So we understand how these manufacturers are all reeling from COVID-19. And it's something to really monitor. Think about the communities. Don't just think about the corporations, but think about the communities and how we can support that labor force. Um, And I'm not talking about bailouts. I'm not advocating for bailouts. I'm advocating for pro-worker legislation and pro-worker, you know, provisions. I think that's important. All right, so just switching gears a little bit uh, now back to what I always or typically start the show with, which is an update on um, the infections and update from DHEC. So just take a listen to this clip and then I'll come back on the other side. But first, we're going to give you the latest on the coronavirus outbreak in our area. DHEC, as JR just mentioned, is investigating 82 additional cases of COVID-19 and the agency says there could be more than 8,000 cases in South Carolina by May 2nd. Today, the total number of positive cases stands at 424 in 39 counties across the state. The counties with the highest number of cases are Kershaw, Richland, Charleston, Greenville, and Beaufort. So those numbers uh, listed from DHEC reported by WLTX 19, the CBS affiliate out of Columbia, those numbers still stand as of this morning. Um, I started recording this podcast uh, shortly before 5 a.m. Thursday morning. And so um, those numbers are still consistent with what I'm reading on the DHEC website. Um, it's just something to, to really watch. And I don't know if you paid attention, but they're also DHEC is, is forecasting an uptick. Um, at 8,000 cases by May. That's 20 times what we've seen right now. Can you imagine 20 times more infections, 20 times more fallout? Um, you know, it's kind of scary. It's scary, scary to watch. Uh, please make sure that you continue to follow these stories from these uh, either these news outlets that I included in this episode or even, of course, I'm a big proponent of local media. So make sure you subscribe to the state. Make sure you read the Post and Courier or whatever local paper that you find to be helpful. Um, also, what I found yesterday, I started to read a little bit more closely the reporting by um, M.K. Wilderman or, or Mary 
Mary Catherine Waldeman. I'm from the Post and Courier. She wrote a. Um, she's been writing a lot of great health stories to to under, help us understand, um, you know, what this looks like from like maybe from a, a more it's like a, a a broader view, a statewide view. And she created a map um, that she tweeted out yesterday. A map. Uh, that showed you where the ICU beds were. And so we're talking about, you know, how many beds are we going to have available if that number does increase, if we continue to see folks um, fall prey to COVID-19. And the map is is telling because you, you'll look at rural pockets and you'll see there just aren't any ICU units. And um, in previous mic'd up ep- episodes, the more the regular uh, mic'd up episodes, I mentioned this i mentioned that um you know we had four closures of hospitals in rural areas since 20 from 2010 to 2019 four hospital closures so imagine if those hospitals were still in like fair areas like fairfield there's a shortage of icu beds there's a shortage of ventilators and there was a story that posted again mk uh, wildeman she posted a story i'm looking for it right now here we go um, that, uh, yeah, it was published yesterday, at least digitally, if not in the physical uh, Post and Courier. It says uh, South Carolina supply of life-saving ventilators could be strained as coronavirus cases surge. Um, please read that story. It's really insightful. And it, uh, again, if you can follow her on Twitter, MK Wilderman on Twitter, um, you'll find that map that she created, which shows you where we had the highest concentration of ICU beds. Of course, Charleston, uh, this area is is with MUSC and Roper combined. Those two healthcare systems, we have a lot of beds here. But places like Fairfield, uh, Barnwell, um, Williamsburg, Marion County, um, Allendale, and I'm I'm listing those counties specifically. Um, those are also counties that have a higher percentage of African American populations. So these are rural areas. These are predominantly black areas. Not all of them. Not all of them. There are definitely pockets all over. But some of these areas are just like blatantly like black. It's like they're in the black belt. It's like the black belt, you know, just swashes through where these beds aren't. So um, it's another story to track. So please continue to follow that coverage. And um, another note, uh, switching it really, uh, I guess, switching it right back to the fiscal uh, issue Remember, uh, I was reporting on the city council, the Charleston City Council, and measures that they were fighting for to help provide relief for small businesses here. Uh, Michaela Porter is doing some fine reporting on city council. She always does. And so she's been on the beat for a while. That matters because sometimes they like to switch the writers up and put someone who does economy on schools. And sometimes it doesn't really pan out. But Michaela has been doing pretty consistent um, work. Um following city council and so there's a recent headline there is there is proposed i guess i don't know how would you call that there's a measure being proposed currently um by a council member uh Sacrin, that is going to provide relief for small businesses however got some questions and concerns i ain't gonna lie um you know they they're pulling in the ldc to help with these loans is pulling from affordable housing which is an ouchie for me um, being that we don't have affordable housing here in Charleston, um, it's a big kind of like, eh, and then uh, there might be some sort of conflicts of interest. And I'm going to leave it there. I want you to read that reporting from Michaela Porter. Um, the headline of the story I'm reading right now is a uh, Charleston City Councilman pushes small business loan program he could benefit from. 
So that's another little ouchie. <laughs> so another little, uh, you know, we're pulling from affordable housing. I understand sometimes we do have to rob Peter to pay Paul. No measures, none of them will be perfect. And I'm not looking for perfection, but I don't want the fallout to, to impact certain communities more than others. And we have to look for these little hidden trap doors that can possibly be included in these measures. And also how these measures are crafted is important. It was, I was, um, I was encouraged by some of the names that were pulled in to help draft this measure. Um, Carol Jackson is one of those names that I look for. But I was um, I was very disappointed to see that there was no African-American council members brought in to help craft this measure. That's a huge sticking point for me. That's another. Eh. <laughs> so this gets three ass eh, for me. I don't know <laughs> if that means anything to anyone else, but I'm like, eh. so I'm, I'm actually seeking information. I'm holding up on an opinion, a final opinion. I'm seeking more information. I'm reaching out to folks um, off the record and on the record. I'm reaching out to folks to figure out what's going on with this story. Is this something that we really could lobby for? Is this something I should be sending my black female business owners in Charleston? Should I just send them running to this measure? Um, or should we just kind of like wait for something a little bit, a little bit better? So I'm tracking that story as well. So until next time, folks, I hope you stay healthy. I hope while you're staying home and self-isolating, if you can, um, if you can just like, you know, stay put for a little bit. I hope that you're healthy and sane and finding great um, outlets and, and ways to just kind of uh, get through uh, you know, this period that we're currently in. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to my own radio team for allowing me to come on the airways with these updates. Uh, thank you to all my friends and local, local partners and, and, and fans and family, family members who have been listening to this live or streaming it, uh, on either SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, remember, you can always reach out to me via email. My email account is, or my email address is Tamika. T-A-M-I-K-A at charlestonactivistnetwork.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mika Gadsden. That's M-I-K-A-G-A-D-S-D-E-N on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow me on um, Facebook by my full government name, Tamika Chantel Gadsden. Um, understand that I am an unapologetic activist um, and my views do not reflect that of this station, um, but I am very unapologetic. So if you follow me, you might get like level 10 meek. So I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> but until next time, y'all, y'all stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Stay, stay six feet away from folks. <laughs> and to all my Gullah Geechee folk, my, my Gullah Geechee descendants, y'all stay black. <laughs>